we've talked about Paul's warning that you can live by truth or you can live by the consequences of living outside of truth. Every person has that decision every day you wake up and all through the day. Truth or consequences. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. Our 2019 theme is making disciples as we help our community know God, become family, and impact the world. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to Romans chapter what? One. That's where we've been for a while. We are going to, Lord willing, and you cooperate, finish that out uh, today. I hope that you'll be back tonight. We have our first Sunday night church of the year. We haven't been able to have one until tonight. And uh, Scripture is very clear that we're not to forsake the assembling of the brethren. We need to do that often. The New Testament church met every single day. We don't have that privilege in the culture in which we live, and it's important that as often as we can that we come back together. Tonight, you're going to hear some amazing testimonies. You're going to hear how God's alive in the younger generation. They have some great stories uh, to share what God's doing in their faith and their heart. We're going to be praying over our student ministry as they get ready for D-Now and a lot of other things. So be back tonight, 5 p.m., Sunday night church. Well, here's where we've been. We've been in uh, Romans chapter 1, and we've talked about Paul's warning that you can live by truth or you can live by the consequences of living outside of truth. Every person has that decision every day you wake up and all through the day. Truth or consequences? And then he lays out in this first chapter the downward spiral of a life that suppresses truth, God's revelation. You can see it up here on the screen. You can see the downward spiral. God reveals who he is. Matter of fact, in verse 19, it says that it's evident to all that God is. It is evident within us. Uh, The creator put that in you, the creation. And there's a piece of us that knows there is a God. That's why if you go anywhere on this planet... To the remotest jungles, you will find spirituality. You will find those pursuing the spiritual because they were created by a supernatural being, the Lord God Almighty. And God reveals himself. We talked about how he reveals himself even in the creation and through his word. And all of that given to us. And yet there is that rejection that happens in man's heart. That we suppress the truth. That rejection then leads to human reasoning. We try to reason our way and develop our own truth or what we believe to be true. Each culture and each generation has come up with its own human reasoning. And out of that, it leads to the issue of replacement. Replacing God off of his throne and placing us on the throne or placing other things, issues of idolatry, other aspects of worship. And when that happens, it leads to a downward spiral of reprobation, When all the boundaries are removed and everyone can pursue what is right in their own eyes, we find it leads to the issue of reprobation. Let's look at verse 24. Verse 24, Romans chapter 1. Therefore, now that they've gotten to this place, they have suppressed the truth, they have leaned on their own reasoning, they now are given over, it says, verse 24, they are given over to the lust of their hearts in impurity. Truth is all about the holiness of God and that which is pure. When we suppress that, that word suppress, remember, is to reject or to box out or to stiff arm. It then comes over to this land of we do what we want to do. And in this moment, in our own desires, it leads to all kinds of reprobation or issues of impurity. 
We live in a sex-mad culture. Today, human sexuality is the new Woodstock of this generation. And what Woodstock did there back in the day, uh, rejecting the standards and the morals of parents and grandparents, now it's on the home front of sexual or human sexuality. We live in a culture that is indulging itself in every conceivable and every inconceivable sexual activity. Not only is this sexual sin tolerated in any form by anyone, with anyone, any place, anywhere, anyhow, it is actually promoted, celebrated, and advocated as far as we can swing in the opposite direction of God's design. That's the day and age in which we live. So now that leads us to the next R, which is our response. How do you minister in a culture that is suppressing the truth and allowing immorality at every front to thrive. These days we live in are dark and challenging days, but they aren't any darker and they aren't any more challenging than they were in Paul's day. So what did Paul do under inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He spoke into the need of the hour. The problem is we're not speaking into the need because frankly I don't think the church has been equipped well to know how to speak into the need. We know that there are challenges and we know that people are hurting and we know that there are wrong answers being delivered to our children and grandchildren. But what will our response be? How do you respond when you're speaking with someone perhaps who has a child who's confused or has contradictory desires? How do you respond if they're struggling with same-sex attraction? How do you respond if they're struggling with heterosexual attraction that is outside the scope and design of God's will? How do you respond? Well, this past week, NBA legend Dwayne Wade, you may have seen this, was on the Ellen DeGeneres show, announced to the whole world that his son Zion now is identifying as a female and goes by the name Zion. And as he was sharing where they were as parents and how they were struggling with that within their family, this was a quoted response that he made. I'm going to put it on the screen. He said, it's my job to be their role model. I agree. To be their voice in my kids' lives. I agree. To let them know you can conquer the world, he continued. Here he is saying, as a parent, I've got to be there for my children. I've got to be a role model. I've got to inspire them. And well done to this point. But here's where it falls short. He continues. So go and be your amazing self. And we're going to sit back and just love you. As you hear that quote, this is the predominant way of thinking in relationship to the issues of our culture. That we are to be there, yes, and be role models, yes, but to sit back and just love you is an inadequate response. Now, it sounds loving, it sounds caring, but this is what leads to the enabling of destructive results. What looks loving can actually be less than loving when we suppress the truth, when we allow people to live outside of God's design, and in the end, it leads to their heartache and their heart breaking. Sometimes love has to step in. Love can't just sit back. I know that as I was growing up, can you imagine what society would be like if we just let everybody live according to their own desires? If we just sat back and out of love just said, go live how you must live? God doesn't do that. God speaks into it. And we must as well. The problem is, how do we do that? 
You see, everybody in this room has unrighteous desires, every single person. In some way or some, some fashion in your heart, we are flawed with a sin nature that desires the opposite of God. Every person in this room who has fallen short of the glory of God, which is everyone. Now, your issue may not be the issue of Dwayne Wade's son. It may be a different issue. That's why Jesus had to come to this earth. That's why Jesus was born in the flesh and would die on a cross for all of our evil sin and desires. So before we start placing this sin over here and this sin up here and this sin over here, let's realize all of us have these struggles and desires, and if we live by our desires, we have chaos, we have rebellion, and we have suppressed the truth, which leads to reprobation. I'm glad my parents loved me enough not to let me live how I wanted to live. Had that happened, I certainly wouldn't be your pastor today. I'd probably be locked up somewhere if I even made it that far. And the same would be true for you as well. Parents have to step in. And we have to as well as a church step into a culture and speak into the issues of our day knowing that the most loving thing we can do is not just sit back but to reach out and to share the truth in love. So what was Jesus' response? He just didn't sit back. He just didn't sit on his throne in heaven and say, well, I guess I've lost them. I guess that's how they are now. They just naturally have propensities to go in this direction, that direction. They can't help themselves. And he didn't just sit back, did he? He just didn't sit on his throne and allow us to spiral into decay and destruction. He left that throne. He didn't sit back. He interjected himself into the need of the hour. And the question is, how do we do that? How do we respond when there's so much confusion in our culture? Well, I want to give you two words, two words that I see in how Jesus responded, and this should be our response. This shouldn't be a Southern Baptist response. This shouldn't be a church. It should be the Lord Jesus Christ who responds in us. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? Would we agree? So how did Jesus respond? Was there all kinds of immorality on this planet when Jesus left his throne in heaven? Yes. Was it as debased and as degraded as it is today? Yes. And Jesus stepped into that moment. And I see these two words in Jesus' response. The first word is compassion. The second word is clarity. Compassion and clarity. You see both of these in the life of Jesus. You see it in his word, even though the church has done a poor job of bringing both of these together as Jesus did. On some fronts, you find camps who come all the way over here into the camp of compassion. we got to just love people and just sit back. They are who they are. They're born with these natural things and these natural desires and these natural propensities. We just need to sit back and love them. Then you have another camp that comes all the way over here in the camp of clarity. and says, God's word says this. God's word says this. God's word says this. And I would tell you that Either one, in and of itself, alone by itself, falls short of a Jesus response. That the two must come together in the power of the Holy Spirit, living out of our lives, and that we bring both compassion and clarity. Let me give you examples. Matthew chapter 9. Hold your place in Romans 1. We're not done yet. Matthew 9, verse 36. Let's look at the Jesus response. 
If we're going to know, how do we minister to our children, our grandchildren? How do we minister to people who are hurting in this culture? How do we bring answers where there's so many wrong answers being brought? What does it look like? Verse 36. Seeing the people, or the multitudes, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and they were dispirited. They were like sheep without a shepherd. When we look in on this verse, we see Jesus seeing reality, looking out at all of the masses and looking out at that generation and that day and that time. And it says, as he saw the people, he felt. He couldn't help but feel. He couldn't help but be drawn in. As he looked out and he saw sheep without a shepherd, he saw people wandering aimlessly, living after their passions and their desires without the shepherd of their life. They were heading for destruction, and he felt. How do you feel when someone lives differently than you do? When you look into somebody's life and they're struggling with something that you can't relate to and you can't understand and it seems so unfathomable to you, how do you feel? Do you feel like Jesus felt? How do you feel when someone is living in sin, just as these people were? When Jesus was looking out in the crowds, he wasn't looking out in the synagogue. He was looking out over people, people who are living in all kinds of degrading sin. People were doing anything and everything they wanted to do. And it says here that Jesus felt compassion for them. Not condemnation, not rejection, but compassion. You say, well, does that mean Jesus was okay with what was going on? Well, let's take a look. We have several examples. You remember the woman at the well. She was involved and engaged most of her life in heterosexual sin. She had many men who had come in and out of her life. She had looked for some kind of significance from having a relationship with another man, and that was the weakness where the enemy snuck in. And instead of having a marriage bed undefiled, she had had many beds with many men. Heterosexual sin. How did Jesus respond? Well, one, Jesus related to her. When everybody else in town said, we want nothing to do with you, when everybody else in town said, you are a woman of ill reputation and we will not even be in your presence. Jesus was. Jesus spoke with her and related to her. And especially in that day, a man with a woman was not to happen. That was seen as scandalous in and of itself, much less a man with this kind of woman. Yet Jesus, out of a heart of compassion interjected himself into her hurt and into her story you see compassion calls for engagement it calls for us to relate and the problem today is the church has quit relating to the hurts of people and have condemned the hurts of people jesus then ministered to her and shared with her that she could have a better life that she could have living water that she didn't have to drink from this well that was contaminated that she could have living water inside of her, and he was able to speak truth in her heart. We go over to John chapter 8, and there's another woman. This woman caught in heterosexual sin in adultery. As you go and you look at that, there's a whole bunch of issues with this story. One, how did they catch this woman? Two, where's the man who also was in it? But we find a woman drug into the story. Teacher, 
This woman has been caught in adultery. You know the story. You remember this is where Jesus draws in the dirt. And he says, the one who's without sin casts the first stone. And they were ready. They had them in their hands because one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they started dropping them. You know why? Because they understood they too had evil desires. And they too had fallen short of the glory of God. And they were not without sin. And after they all left, we find an interesting response of compassion. And I want you to see, I want you to hear, you remember it probably well. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. So some could jump on this and say, well, compassion is acceptance. Compassion is just understanding that's just who people are. It goes on. If you're reading long, you see it. I don't condemn you either. Go from now on and sin no more. Jesus shows incredible compassion, and at the same time, he shows incredible clarity. He comes alongside and said, listen, I'm not here to condemn you either, but I would share with you, if you continue this, it will destroy you. Go and sin no more. Enjoy a better life. Enjoy the design of your God, your creator. Experience that joy. And so in his compassion, he also brings clarity. He speaks the truth in love. Go and sin no more. He didn't say it's okay. He didn't say to her, I understand, we all struggle. I mean, obviously, it's been proven here by the audience that came to condemn you. You're just like everybody else, so just go with the flow. But he loved her like no other. He loved her in that moment, right where she was. But he loved her not enough not to leave her where she was. And I'm thankful that God loved me where I was, but God didn't leave me there. That he came to transform me to becoming a new creature in God. And he would give me a new heart and would give me new desires. Doesn't mean there still wouldn't be struggles. Doesn't mean that we don't all still struggle. But he speaks to us in compassion by giving us the truth. When we look at Jesus' response, we see these realities. Compassion does not condone. What is considered hate speech, that's not hate speech. He wasn't hating on her. He was loving her to a better way. The way maker the promise keeper. When we love with compassion, we don't condemn. We don't hold up signs that says God hates you. He does not hate the person. He hates the sin. We see that in Romans 1 when it says his wrath is poured out on the unrighteousness. That's the acts of unrighteousness. He doesn't condone. He doesn't condemn. But he does speak the truth in love. So let's look at the truth and as we model a spirit-filled life and show compassion for those who are confused and hurting and choosing another way, that we also know how to marry that compassion to what has been declared to be true. So take some notes today and point some people to these verses as you encourage them and as you minister to them. Or perhaps these verses need to speak to you. 1 Thessalonians, it's on the screen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, This is the will of God. The will of God in your sanctification that you are to abstain from sexual immorality. 
Here we find God delivering that his desire is that we not be tormented by the enemy of our soul by stepping outside of that design or outside of God's will in sexual immorality. In this, we see God's will, but we know we also have man's will. Man's will might be in the area of sexual immorality. God's will is purity and a certain design. And every day we choose to pursue God's will or our will. But in this, God's will for your sanctification, your transformed nature, is that you be set apart from sin and that you live unto God. Not unto your desires, not unto that which is the passion inside of you. You say, well, I'm denying reality. I'm denying who I am at my core. Isn't that why Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you have to take up your cross daily? If we didn't have to take up a cross, there wouldn't be anything to crucify. And we have to do that daily because daily there is a battle that goes on in every person's life. Not just Dwayne Wade's son, but your pastor as well. And in every person sitting in this room, every day we have to take up our cross daily. That is the struggle of life. So as we look in here, he says, abstain from sexual immorality. That means not even to make an opportunity for that to exist in your life. And before we go throwing stones at today's culture, before we see what is being promoted in all of Hollywood instead of God's holy word, let's remember in the holy word what happened to King David. It happened in his world as well because he didn't abstain from sexual immorality. He embraced it into his life. It became a part of his story. Now, it wasn't when he was a little teenager. It's when he was king of Israel. After he had killed Goliath, after he had had victory after victory, and he was known as a man after God's own heart, he became known as a man after another man's wife and would murder her husband so he could have her, not because he needed a woman. He had multiple wives and concubines in the palace. That's how selfish he was and how degrading and how destructive sin can be in any person's life. So let's don't just talk about the culture Let's be reminded, this is being instructed to the church, your sanctification. Hebrews 13, 4. It says, marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, not destroyed by fornication or adulterers, for that God will judge. Here we find that God's design for sex is to be in a monogamous relationship between one man and one woman, period. That is it, and that is what it's for. And yet the enemy has twisted that and distorted that in homosexual and heterosexual impurity. The marriage bed is to be undefiled. It goes on, 1 Thessalonians 4, 4. So that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions. Scripture says we're not to cave into those desires. We're not to be defined by those desires. We are called to live a holy, crucified life like Paul who said, it's not me who lives, it's not my passion that lives, it's Christ who lives in me. And if Christ is alive in me, it will allow me to live above and beyond my desires no matter what those desires may be. We're not to live in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 
As we look at this, we have to understand our desires don't determine our person. Our creator does. Because if we were to live according to what our desires are, he would have never said that we're not to live under those lustful passions in our life. He acknowledges they exist, but he acknowledges that they should not determine our person. We also understand this, that if we suppress that truth and we allow our desires to be the dictator of our lives, our desires will determine who we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You still with me this morning? Verse 17. Stay with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17. The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Verse 18 says, flee immorality. That night when David couldn't sleep, when he was supposed to be at war with his soldiers, where all kings wore, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Satan continually lulls him to sleep. He goes walking late at night out on the rooftop of the palace where he can look down on everything and see everything and saw something he should have never seen, Bathsheba. In that moment, while he may not have been able to help the fact that that was right before him, he could, hap- he could, he could certainly control what happened next. Had he fled in that moment, Had he had gone running back inside, he would not have had that piece of his story as we know it today. But he didn't flee the immorality. He continued to pursue. He continued to view. He continued the next day to find out who this woman was. He made plans to bring her into his life. He made plans to kill her husband. He pursued it day after day after day. And there are some folks today that you're wrestling with some things that you know are not right. These desires that are inside, these natural things that want to kill, steal, and destroy, if you allow those to continue to move forward, they will lead to your destruction. Or you can flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know your body is a temple? Some people treat this space way more reverent than they do this space. Oh, they brought a coffee cup inside the sanctuary. They wore a hat inside. And yet we let all kinds of stuff happen inside of here and don't even care. God help us. God protect us from the lies of the enemy. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's time that we allow this to be a holy place. From the head to the toes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, back up just a ways, just a few verses. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not be deceived? Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homo- it covers every gamut of sexual immorality. It's not picking on one people group. The church is not here to hate on anybody. This pastor is not preaching against you, whatever your struggle might be. This pastor is sharing the truth with you in love that while we have these desires, no matter what they look like, you are loved by God, but he will not love the acts. That is not hate speech. That is love in its greatest way, speaking the truth in love. Don't allow those things to destroy you, to rob you of your marriage, to rob you of your dignity, to rob you of your purity. For it goes on in verse 11, and it talks about all kinds of other things, thieves and covetous people, drunkards and revilers, swindlers. It's not just picking on sexual immorality. It's talking about all immorality. 
Verse 11, before you start picking up stones, before you start picking up a picket sign, such were some of you. Romans 3 will get on to say, such were all of you. For we all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. That should lead to a heart of compassion, but it shouldn't lead to just sitting back and it shouldn't lead to condemnation. It should lead to our response being the truth in love. The truth in love. So let's wrap it up. Romans chapter 1. Remember Romans chapter 1? Sure you do. You probably have it memorized by now. Verse 28. So, we've seen the truth. We've seen the struggle. But now God speaks in these final words of this chapter. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to depraved minds to do those things which are not proper. We see it going on today. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Well, that was thrown in there conveniently, wasn't it? <laughs> Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval. Notice what our culture gives approval to. Everything but the revealed will of God. Everything else is fine. Everything else is celebrated. And God confronts that and says, that is a lie. And that is not love just sitting back and allowing all hell to live loose here on planet Earth. But God makes another way. It's called repentance. That's the final R. That there is another way. You can live by your unbridled passions or you can turn, you can repent, and you can trust God. And even though it might be different than how you feel inside, he can change all of that because he is a way maker. He is a miracle worker. He is a promise keeper. And he said, if anyone will believe in me, they shall be a new creature. The old will pass away and all things can become new only through repentance. Let's pray together. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We get to move on to chapter two, so you get to come back next week. You, you, you ready? But let's don't move on to chapter 2 until we've heard chapter 1. You see, don't let it go in one ear and out the other ear. Let it land in the heart. And as we have stated, everyone in this room has passions and desires that are contrary to the will of God and design of God. Everyone. And the question today is, are you living according to your desires or God's design? You say, I don't want to hear that. I don't like hearing that. I need to be true to myself. No, you need to be true to the God who created you and allowed you to be a self. The selfish thing to do is to cave in and to surrender to your desires. I had to humble myself in front of most of my town and confess 
that I needed God to take control of this messed up, chaotic life. I had to repent. I did that publicly. And to this day, I've never regretted it. Have I struggled? Yes. Have I lost battles along the way? Yes. But God is the God of all victory. Victory is found in Jesus. And maybe today, you need that kind of freedom. Maybe today, you're hurting inside. You say, well, you don't understand. You can't relate to my past. You can't relate. doesn't matter. All I know is I can relate to this. We all have different desires that are destructive. But I was not willing to let my desires dictate that I would become an alcoholic. I wasn't willing to believe that that was my destiny. That was not going to be the final statement. And God gave me victory. Gave me a new life. And he can give that to you as well. We'll have ministers standing here at the front. There'll be a number of people coming for a number of reasons. Some need a church home. Some may need to repent. Some may have somebody in their life they're praying for and they're broken over that person right now. And they've just been trying to figure out how do I show compassion but also give them clarity. What does that look like? Maybe you need somebody to pray with you today. We'd love to pray with you right here at the front. Maybe you have a different need. Maybe you need a Savior. If that's your need, come to one of our staff and say, today, man, I need to get right with God. I need a Savior. I need to be saved. Would you help me? And they'll pray with you. They'll show you from God's Word. So I'm going to pray over you. We're going to stand. Tom will begin to sing. We'll let God do the rest. Amen? Father God, we love you. Not because we chose to love you, but because you chose to love us. While we were sinners, while we were pursuing all the evil desires of our hearts, You still loved us, but you loved us enough not to leave us where we were. And you made us into new creatures. Lord, if there's somebody here today, they need that transformation in their life. They need you, your love, your forgiveness, and your design. God, save them today. Lord, if there's another need in this room, a need of encouragement, a need to know how to take a next step to minister to somebody who's living in their passions and their desires, God, may we become a prayer army over these next few moments, praying for one another. Whatever you choose to do, Lord, do it now. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.